Welcome back to another episode of Create a New Tomorrow. I'm your host, Ari Gronich. Remember to like, subscribe, rate, review, comment on the end of this show, just so that we can start the conversation and get it going. All right, we've got with us today, Sandy Rodriguez. Sandy has been a translator. She's been a journalist for different, uh, both uh, U.S. and Mexico publications, She's a lifestyle website and Cinco multimedia company, Heart of Hollywood Motion Pictures. So she's done a lot in the industry. I'm going to let her kind of give you a little bit of her background and why she became who she is. Thank you so much, Ari. It's wonderful to be joining you today. I love your show. Well, after that beautiful introduction, uh, let me tell you, yes, you're right that I have been uh, doing many different things. For a very long time, uh, I was involved very directly in journalism. I was one of the editorial coordinators for one of the foremost newspapers in Latin America. That was a newspaper called Reforma, which has been around for um, decades and it's very, very successful. And um, that was something that I was very passionate about journalism and my career specifically. I can't say enough good things about, about the time that I spent at Reforma. But eventually after uh, about a decade and a half, a little bit more than that, I had uh, personal, not professional reasons to uh, decide to move to Los Angeles. So I had to move from Mexico City to Los Angeles, which made sense on a personal level for specific reasons that I will um, later expound uh, upon. But uh, professionally speaking, it might not have been the wisest of choices because I was walking away from a successful career at the very height of my career and moving to a new town where I knew very few people. And more to the point, Ari, this was at a particular point in history where, um, you know, the blogosphere, if we can call it that, was booming and a lot of people were creating free content. Now, of course, uh, you cannot say that there was a, a quality standard across the board, but some people were coming out with extraordinary content, very high quality content for free. So that would certainly did not motivate new employers to say, hey, welcome new person to the fold, welcome. We have plenty of money for you. No, of course not. People were doing that uh, more for fun or to voice opinions at the time. So there really was, um, it was a little bit challenging finding projects to collaborate on. I did find several, several interesting projects, several interesting um, companies and people to work with, but this was mostly, let's say, for fun, because it was not what one would call gainful employment. I was happy to do so, but I did need to find something else, which is when I found a totally new um, venue, which, as you mentioned, had to do with translations. I translated a number of books, maybe tens of books, all kinds of uh, business books, uh, self-improvement, medical novels, a number of books of different of different kinds, all of them bestsellers from uh, major publishing houses. Um, and I also eventually fell into a totally new career that was court interpreting. And to be honest, Ari, I adore it. It was a wonderful find. And as you said, I'm doing a lot of things 
but most of them have something in common, which is language communication. They all center around uh, that, that specific field. And uh, I consider myself a bilingual communications expert because of that. I'm very well-versed in different forms of communication, and I just love to connect with people such as yourself. That's, that's pretty awesome. So we kind of talked a little bit before the show, and one of the questions that I wanted to talk to you about is translating different languages, in my eyes, is a completely different mindset. You, ha- you, know, you, you get into the culture and the mindset of the language that you're learning or the language that you're translating. So how does that work for you? Because uh, obviously your main other language is Spanish. And so, you know, to me, there's a very distinct culture in the Spanish language and as a, you know, as a, as a culture at whole. So how does the language influence the mindset and the culture? I think it's very interesting. I think that that can be answered in two different ways, Ari. For example, if you are, say, a bilingual or trilingual individual, or you personally know a number of languages, it might be that you learn one at a specific point in your life and the other one at a different point in your life. So your personality can actually vary depending on the language you're using. Let me give you an example. Let's say that as a teenager, you exclusively spoke German. Okay. And then you started learning, say, English as an accomplished adult. I believe that when you personally spoke German, your whole attitude might be more youthful and more playful and more teenage-like than when speaking in English for a number of reasons, not only because it would remind you of a particular point in your life, but also because of the fact that you would have the vocabulary that is in line with that type of stage in life. Absolutely. You know, it's funny to me because I look at things like the Bible and the Torah Mm -hmm. and the translation, the things that get lost in translation between old Aramaic and then Hebrew and then Latin and then English. Let's say that that's the, the only few languages that, you know, came in between. And then I think of things like the game telephone that we used to play when we were a kid where you whisper in somebody's ear a phrase and it goes around the room and then you find out what it has become when, when you, get to the you know the other side and what gets lost in translation it's not just the words that get lost it's the tone and the emphasis of word and the place where you would put a comma if, you know in, in languages where there may not be a comma or a separation of of those words right or like in hebrew there's no vowels in aramaic there's no vowels and so you have to interpret what the word is and the sound and the vowel and you know before you can get it so what gets lost in translation between cultures is really prevalent right now in our society you know we have many different cultures that do not speak the same language even within the english language and i think that if if we began to try to translate 
the languages and understand what's actually being said, we may have a different interpretation of the culture that it came from. Do you find that that might be the case as well? I think you are completely right. I think that's completely accurate. Um, in many cases, the issue lies in the fact that there are no words to say what needs to be said, for instance. In English, you might say, I saw somebody screaming and shouting and yelling. Okay, in Spanish, there's just one word to describe all three things. So if you were to write a paragraph that included all of those three things, your Spanish translator might be at a loss because they simply could not, uh, you know, maybe used all three words in a sentence for emphasis. It would be very difficult for a Spanish interpreter to work around that, for instance. And I've had the experience, you're mentioning the Bible specifically, but I've had the experience of translating many books of many different styles. All of them have been bestsellers for one specific reason, so, uh, reason Ari. Publishing houses only request translations of best-selling material. You know, it's funny, the, the reason I, I always bring up the Bible when it comes to translations is just a, a, a minor one, but there's, you know, that saying about Jesus having walked on the water. Well, that, that word on wasn't in the language. It was by. So didn't walk on the water, walked by the water. And if you, I mean, just those two words alone change the meaning so drastically of what's being said. And so therefore, the misinterpretation that gets misinterpreted over and over and over again throughout, you know, history and telling stories becomes something so much larger than maybe it was. And, you know, I, I look at how does that conflate up? And then how can I relate that to current society of, of in which language has become so interestingly separative, you know, there was, there's, there's each borough, for instance, of New York City has a different accent. Yes. I used to be able to tell if somebody was from the Bronx, from the from Queens, from Brooklyn, from Manhattan, I could tell just by their accent where they were from. And then you go let's say to the South in Tennessee versus Louisiana versus Texas, very, you know, different or, or Atlanta, very different accents, very different wording and inflections and, and so on. And how much misinterpretation of things get said, right? And then how is it that we are separate as a society so much and so divided and divisive? And would it behoove us to shift so that we all have kind of one language or is it better to really understand the language that the person is speaking? You know, wh wh where, where do we find that balance so that we can kind of come together as a society? And I'll just take it one last step further because I know you've done medical books. So <clears throat> I believe that alternative healthcare and Western healthcare have a language issue. They don't speak the same language because they weren't trained in the same things. And so the language that one speaks is completely different. And if we learn to speak to the language of the person that we're trying to influence, we'll get better outcomes because we'll 
have more understanding. So I'm going to leave it there, but that's just kind of like the process in my mind of one of the issues that maybe has a solution so that we can bring ourselves back together versus divided so separately. I think, Harry, that that's a very interesting point that you're touching upon about how language can cause a rift. And I, I agree that that's something that, that should be addressed. I also think, Ari, that even within one same language, people can have many different interpretations of one specific sentence. I'm, I remember reading about a situation in which um, an armed officer um, heard somebody tell an armed uh, person, give it to him. Now that, uh, the, the officer assumed that the person that was being told give it to him was also armed. Uh, in reality, that other person didn't have a gun, they had a wallet. And when their friend said, give it to him, the officer assumed that, that the person had a gun and give it to him meant shoot the police officer. So obviously the officer had that understanding. When in reality, the friend was saying, give it to him, like give the man your wallet, show him it's a wallet. So it was one same sentence that can be interpreted like give it to him, like kill him, or give it to him, hand him your wallet. That is one same sentence that can be interpreted or taken in two different ways. One of the things that I heard you say is that the attention span has gone down so much. And this has been something that I've heard repeated over and over and over and over and over again. And my question is, is it the attention span or is it the expectation? Because I know I watch my kids and they'll get onto YouTube and watch hours of training in a thing that they're interested in, whether it's, you know, finances or um, politics. I mean, they'll, they'll consume a mass amount of information and they seem to have extremely long attention spans. And so I hear us say, well, the attention span has dropped. It's seven seconds now. The attention span is seven. We're almost lower than a goldfish. I mean, we have no attention. Is this just an expectation that they're trying to feed us? Because I've never experienced having a seven second attention span. I, you know, my attention span is however long I'm interested in a subject. If I'm interested in something, I can look at it for hours and hours and hours and hours and time disappears completely. And if I'm not interested, I probably am gonna be off subject you know, pretty quickly, but typically it's not seven seconds. And so I, I, I think that that might be something the media is feeding me instead of something that's actually real. So can we address that a little bit? Cause you repeated it. So obviously it's something you've heard of, but I disagree completely. I think that they're pandering. I think you have a very valid point, Ari, and I think that both things can be simultaneously true in this sense. I think what is meant, or at least the way I perceive it or the way I uh, mean it uh, is in the sense that when making a selection, the attention span 
is indeed, at least in my experience, very limited because there are almost unlimited options and you only have limited time. Uh, is there anything else that you really like to talk about? We've had a very great conversation. I, I think that the audience has gotten a lot out of this. And, um, you know, I always at the end of, of any conversation, I'll ask you to give two or three actionable tips and tricks that somebody can do to improve their life, create a new tomorrow today and activate their vision for a better world. And and based on this conversation, what are some things that you would suggest to the audience that they can do in order to get more information and less opinion, more fact and less reactionary response to, uh, to programming? I think that the very last, one of the very last things that we discussed was a very good tip in general, which is to understand what it, that whatever um, person or situation is being described is never all terrible or all wonderful. And if a piece of news is telling you, no, 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 this was all terrible, all terrible, there's something wrong there. Or if it's something that's saying what you're reading or this thing or this person or this candidate or this policy is all wonderful, that's also not to be trusted. Anything that is being described as 100% awful or 100% excellent is surely misleading and a little bit more research needs to be done into that is what I think. Awesome. Anything else? Well, the other thing is to apply that also to your personal life. Like in, in normal situations when encountering new friends, meeting new people, starting a new job, um, any situation you may find yourself in, uh, you might find people that that you at first you might not enjoy meeting you might say oh that seems like a difficult person give them time everybody has something good about them everybody has something that you might find pleasing everybody can become a friend eventually i think it's just a matter of waiting it out or digging a little deeper but absolutely yeah you know it's interesting once you um strive to understand somebody it's hard not to like the yeah. person you know even if you don't agree with their position or their their uh their thoughts, at least you understand where they're coming from. And typically most people are coming from the same place that we are with the same wants and needs and desires in life. And, uh, and it's hard to not like those people just because they might think a little differently or believe a little differently than you. So um, you have a book, why don't you give the, uh, the topic of your book and a little bit about it so that the audience can get an idea and sense of who you are. And if they want to, um, to work with you or take a look at that book, how can they get a hold of you? Absolutely. So the book I wrote is titled Choose to Prevail. And in fact, I have it right here. This is a book that is meant to help the reader find insights that might help them overcome challenges, be they big or small. When I say big challenges, I'm referring to maybe the loss of a loved one or any situation that is causing them great grief. And when I say minor uh, challenges, I might mean something as 
minor really as encountering a lot of traffic or perhaps uh, feeling a little bit uh, uncomfortable speaking in public, which is something many people struggle with. So many different types of struggles are addressed in the book. Uh, the way the book touches upon that is by suggesting ways to shift your perspective in regard to what is causing you grief and also suggesting a few actionable steps. And in fact, there is one chapter that touches upon uh, the fact that all of us have something in common, some things in common. So no matter who we may meet, even though they might seem tremendously different, there is always some common ground to be found. So that's something that we should uh, keep in mind, no matter who it is that we're encountering. And if anybody cares to buy the book, it's available on all platforms, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Target.com, Walmart.com, wherever they might enjoy buying their, their books. And uh, thank you so much. Absolutely. This was a, a wonderful conversation. I like uh, beating up the media. Uh, no offense to you, because, you know, <laughs> um, I, I, I just believe that, that the media in general has a lot of soul searching that they need to do and, uh, and return to an integritous kind of way of, of doing their business so that we as the citizens who are uh, are trying to learn about what's going on in our country can have a, 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 an actual sense of what it, that is instead of this theoretical, conceptual, polarized step. So I appreciate you coming on and, and uh, I hope you didn't take any of that as personally beating you up, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh no, I enjoyed our conversation so much and I agree so much with much of what you said, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And I appreciate that. So this has been another episode of Create a New Tomorrow. I am your host, Ari Gronich. Remember to like, subscribe, rate, review, comments below so that we can start this conversation and really move along forward our society so that we could create a new tomorrow today and activate our vision for a better world. Thank you so much for being here. And I look forward to the next time. Thank you, Ari.